So last week, we began looking at this story. This is sort of the continuation of it. And the, the way the story started was that Jesus was walking, and it says he saw uh, this guy who was born blind. And, and so the story starts with uh, what you might say, the, the noticing of someone who uh, has a difficulty or has, in this case, a disability. But you could just look at it in terms of something general. Um, the noticing of someone who is maybe going through a hard time or in trouble or having difficulty. And it's the type of thing where no matter where you walk, there's going to be this moment of noticing something, seeing uh, someone who is working through or dealing with something that you don't have to deal with or an issue. And and so as that happens, that noticing, uh, discussion happens uh, apart from the man, probably from all intents and purposes near the man, enough that he could probably hear it, Uh, that the disciples, and the disciples are uh, people who, for the context of the story, you might classify them as the good guys, (laughs) the followers of Jesus, people who understand what Jesus is coming to understand. They've come to Jesus. The people who are, you know, in terms of like trying to see their religion revitalized, they're sort of what you might call on the cutting edge of that, that people, in terms of going out and doing things for people in the community, they're definitely like they're going out feeding people, they're raising money. So you might, if you were to like classify good people and bad people in the story, they would be the good people for the sense of the story. So the good people on seeing someone in trouble start talking amongst themselves And the topic of their conversation is, who sent this man or his parents that he would be born blind? In other words, the topic of the conversation and the hearing of this guy going through this with his disability that he's had that he was born into before he had even done anything, he had this disability. What he has to hear is their discussions of how they're going to lay the blame for this problem at his feet. And when you, we look at it, I mean, even though in the, yeah, I don't feel like I need to explain that this is a bad way of, of looking at things. I'll just, I'm going to take it that everyone here understands. Sitting there talking about someone's disability in terms of, you know, them messing up and putting, that's just not, where you want to go. And so the question last week was kind of how is it that people with so many good intentions are feeling like they're heading in this direction or can end up doing something so hurtful as this, having this conversation amongst themselves. But this week, it brings out a different aspect of that that is really sort of touched on with that, is that when the man was healed... He was blind, and now he has sight. There was the benefit of the miracle in that, and I 
Forgive me for the for for as I'm trying to like put the context of this into general forms. I don't want it to. You always run the risk of not uh, speaking about it in the right context. But if you put it in general, the benefit of here's someone who I I don't want to say has a problem, but who who has a need or or there's something there. The, the, the benefit isn't just that he was blind and now he has sight. There's also a deeper benefit that ended up happening or, or should have happened because of this. Because it wasn't just that the man was blind. The conversation of the disciples was what the common thought of their religion, their community, their culture, and is really just sort of the common thought of everybody in the world is that it's not just that there's a need, it's that the fault for that needs to fall on someone, and it usually falls on the person that has that need. And so what happens is because of that, one of the difficult things about going through something difficult is oftentimes the isolation that results from it. And the isolation results from it because people pull away because they just don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with it. And oftentimes, once it becomes something where over time, and as it becomes used to, people sort of deal with that difficulty by just saying, well, you know, I can't tell them what they need to do. You know, I mean, I can't. There's nothing I can do to help them because they won't help themselves type thing. Or they won't, you know... That there's this sense of when you go through something really tough, there's this sense of isolation that comes, and that's also being dealt with here. That this guy, because the common culture was, that the disciples were buying into, and they didn't see that following Jesus meant an end to that way of thinking, or meant that that way of thinking is no longer rational or reasonable based on what they had accepted with Jesus. That there's no one good but God alone, that they need forgiveness for their sins, that their relationship with God wasn't based on them doing the right thing. It was based on the forgiveness that they were going to experience with Jesus. But what happened was because they thought that this guy had this problem and they determined that it must be because he's done something wrong, he was labeled in their community as a sinner. And what we see in the conversation of this story is the result is that they were put out of the synagogue, which for us is kind of like, okay, so you're saying I can't go to church? Fine. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. But, but it was, I don't even know how to compare it, but you can just sort of imagine that like their culture was tied to that religiousness. And it wasn't just like they couldn't come to church on Sunday. It's that they were sort of treated as an outcast amongst their community. In other words, whenever there was a festival or there was a fun time, people hanging out, people eating together, they were not able to participate in that. And they were that was justified by saying, look, we just really can't connect with someone who's a sinner, who's messed up. And so there was this isolation that went on. There was a judgment and an isolation that went with that. And this guy had lived his whole life isolated from that. And you can see in the story, his parents, this idea that it starts with who sent this man or his parents, 
they had to juggle through that isolation too, that in order to make a stand for their son, they would end up isolating themselves. And so they had to sort of, you know, figure out how they were going to navigate this, that like this was a stigma that was being put on them. And, you know, as they, the more they embraced their son, the more they would fall out of their sense of community with everyone else. The more they embraced their community, the more they would sort of be pushing off their son. It's a, a horrible thing to even just talk about, but that happens all the time. And so the question is, is they had worked it all out that this whole process of isolating people and this whole tension that's going on and all this was all justified and thought of as like, this is something that God's doing. You know, to, to sort of put pressure on, to, to, to sort of make a statement, to be able to sort of maneuver, to be able to take by fear so that we will follow him and embrace him and do things and there will be this whole peer pressure and these penalties and this thing and it's, he's doing it so that we'll be forced to comply. And that's the sense of what God's doing. And Jesus understood that and Jesus said, well, this doesn't have anything to do, that's not what God's doing. But this is happening so that you can see what the work of God actually is. And when he says what the work of God actually is, he heals the guy. <laughs> and there's this process which we talked about last week. So, so this is what we're dealing with this week, is how everyone is having a really hard time with what this means. The fact that obviously God had just healed this guy. They had packed in so much into this this guy being blind and had worked it all out and dealt with it in all this way and him being healed now just through all that reasoning and that lining up and all this and they just can't. So, so it's an odd thing when you look at it. The guy even says, look, in all of history up to that point, I don't know, maybe there's been some since then, I'm not aware, but this is such a unique display of God's word and he says, No, in all of time, has anyone heard of someone who was born blind having this miracle happen of receiving sight? And you would think that if we witnessed that, we would be like, whoa, this is crazy. You know, I can't believe this. You know, it's like someone gets a new job. We're all like, oh, we're so thankful you got a new job. Or you won the lottery. You know, let's all go out and buy a car together or something. You know, it's like you would think this huge thing. It'd be like this huge, momentous, joyous celebration. It's not that <laughs> at all. I, I mean, this is a total side point, but there's just... I was reading through this pastor who says he doesn't believe in God anymore. And one of the reasons why he doesn't believe in God is because there's no miracles. And it's sort of like, well, I mean, I don't know. Here's this story of this guy who received it. And you can say, well, that didn't happen. But even within the story, what it says is when it did happen, everyone was sort of like, well, I don't know. 
you know, gets in this huge argument about it. They can't even, it's like, even if there was some, like you were right there, what the Bible actually is saying is that we would just continue being grumpy and arguing about everything that we were doing anyways. It's like, and when you think about it in those terms, why would God even waste that on us then? I mean, but he does because he cares about us and those there's miracles. But the point is, is there's something going on here with what that means. That the crowd and the parents and everyone is just having a hard time dealing with it. Uh, such a hard time that they're actually just going to try and kill Jesus and, and get rid of him because they just can't handle what this means. And so the question is, is what does coming to Jesus mean? And it means something, it, it means something about eternity going to heaven. But, but there's something about the kingdom here on earth that we just can't handle. And it's something about the way we've worked out, the way everything works. It's the way that we've worked out so that we're blaming people for stuff. There's something about that that this is disrupting. And this is what they're really digging into here with the second part of the story. So, so here's where we pick up. It says, they, they brought... To the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And this is something easy to pass over. But, you know, when I was uh, younger, I, I kind of loved when people would come to me and ask my advice for something because I kind of took it as like, oh, you know, I think I like, can give some advice. on so, oh, no one's ever asked me for advice. This is kind of nice. Until I realized that most of the time, I, I don't know what the percentage is, I'm going to say... 99.9. No, just I, I'm just giving everyone the benefit of the doubt here. Oftentimes, let's just put it in that terms, people come to you and ask for advice from you because they've measured you up and they think that this is the advice you're going to give and they've come to you for the advice that they've already judged, made some sort of judgment about you that you would give the kind of advice that they want to have. In this case, everybody knows that the Pharisees hate Jesus, and they don't like this message. And, and so there's this sense of whatever it is, like they can't just jump on you know, the party wagon and just be happy and joyful that this wonderful thing has happened. There's this weird thing going on in their heart where they just feel like, oh, I mean, I guess it's good, but it seems like there's something wrong here because my heart just isn't quite in it type thing. And so they go to the people that they know they're going to get the answer that have already decided, yeah, we know why this is wrong, why you're feeling that sort of weird discomfort. We'll explain to you why you're right in that little discomfort feeling that you're feeling in this situation. Maybe not. Maybe they were just good intentioned. It says, it explains the background that the Pharisees are going to come in on. It says, Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And the Sabbath was, the reason why it's bringing that up is because in the law of Moses it says the Sabbath is rest. In other words, you're supposed to have one day out of the week where you just rest and, uh, and not work. And, and they're thinking of making mud as working. It says, therefore, the Pharisees asked how he had received sight. And the guy says, he put 
Mud on my eyes? The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. It's pretty simplified, as sticking to the facts as you possibly can get. I don't know, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, I washed it off, now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, well, how can a sinner do such a miraculous sign? And it says, so they were divided. What it's saying here is that the thing that they're not willing to let go of is the way in which this guy being blind and them blaming him and labeling him as a sinner or a bad person divided them into we're sort of the good people, and then here's an example of who the bad person is. The miracle of Jesus and the miracle of God took that away so that you now had no reason for that division. And what they can't let go of is instead of just being happy with the gift that God gives, they have to run back to these discussions and trying to evaluate, was this the Sabbath? What does the Sabbath mean? Is this work or is this not work? What does this mean about this? This endless discussion and contention that amongst those that were divided away from Jesus and everyone else, the Pharisees, it's a a section, a, a division of the religious leaders, that even they were divided amongst themselves. In other words, the thing that we have that's hard for us to let go of is the way that we've gone around and seeing the world and the way things work around us in such a way that creates a division between us and other people. And the problem is that when we grab a hold of them, we see everything is happening in the world based on this division that we say, you know, I've got this and this and this, and it's because, you know, I've done this and this, and the other person hasn't. If they were to do this, then, you know, and you, then you justify it in terms of like, well, this is the right way of doing it, and they're doing it the wrong way. And if they were to listen to me, and then I'll apply some, that type of thing. The problem with that is that you just endlessly divide. <laughs> If your hope is that, like, look, things have been going well for me, and the reason why is because of this way that I've devised that I'm so different than everybody else. That, I look, things are going well for me, and it's because of some sort of difference that I've concocted. And then you're, so I feel most comfortable around the group that see that difference, that epitomize that difference. And if that's your hope, then that group is just going to keep dividing They'll either kick you out or you'll kick all of them out and you'll be standing there by yourself eventually. It doesn't bring about what it is that you want. It just brings about this never-ending division separating us from people. We think we have this hope that it's going to bring us together, that it's going to give us some sort of sense of security, that we're going to be able to have these things in life that's going to be somehow secured by everyone's on the same boat and we're all thinking that, but that actually just ends up descending us into the abyss of just alone. But what Jesus is saying that the work of God is, it's not about that It's about God just miraculously doing a gift, giving us a gift. That what we want, that sense of coming together or that like, okay, like things are going well, it it all has to do with a gift that's being given. And it's a different way of 
looking at things. How, how does that work out? It's like, look, if you think, let's go back to job example just because that's kind of a silly example. I got this job and it's because I'm just, you know, I've been set apart. Like, you know, in terms of 50 other people or 100 other people, like I'm obviously the best choice. And, and so you have this sort of sense of security that's based in you being better than everyone else. And you feel this sense that, well, I'm at this company that's a very successful company and they only hire the best. So now I'm amongst this group of people that are the best until you get fired, until you get that performance review that says like, well, actually you're like under the, you know, you're in the 30th percentile and whatever, you know, you need to... There's this certain sense of security that comes. But if... It's not the case that you got that job, or maybe that's bad English, but you think you've worked it out that way. But what if the truth is that God just gave it to you? Well, I mean, it would have to be that wouldn't be fair if it wasn't that I like, you know, well, what if God just worked out the fairness in some other way and he just gave it to you? Then your security wouldn't be in like, well, I'm different and that's what's, you know, I think I'm going to be okay in life because of this. It would be dependent on, well, I wonder how much God's going to continue doing this. You know, is he going to keep, you know, I don't know. You're going to come to this point of saying like, well, I wonder if God is going to continue giving to me even when I don't deserve it. Or is this going to just keep going? Like, what if I do something to, like, mess stuff up? Then is that going to be? But that's what coming to Jesus is all about, is saying, no, there's not anything. Because if there was anything you could have done to mess it up, you already did it, and he gave it to you anyways. That's your starting point. It says... They're in the middle of this divide. They turn to the blind man and they say, well, what do you say about this since he opened your eyes? And the guy says, he's a prophet. And what the guy means by prophet is he means that he's the person that's going to save the world that was talked about in the Hebrew Bible, which they talk about later that like if anyone believes that, they're going to be put out of the synagogue. In other words, well, we'll get to that. It says they, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the parents. And they said, is this your son? And they said, this is the one. Uh, is this the one uh, you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And they say, well, we, we know that he's our son. And we know he was born blind. But how it is that he can see now or open his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And then there's this explanatory note. It says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah, which this guy just did, would be put out of the synagogue that is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. His parents, I mean, 
I'm a parent, so I'm going to be gracious to parents or whatever, because, you know, I just really like to have a lot of graciousness. But parents are idiots sometimes, you know? I'm sure your parents are great, my parents are great, everyone's parents are great, but man, here's this guy. He's gone his whole life blind, his whole life isolated, his whole life having people talking behind his back about how bad he is and blaming him for everything. And then, something that's never happened in all the history of the world, a miracle, he receives sight. Everyone just goes into this ridiculous argument about, like, what is it? Who even cares about that? You know, it's like this, about the Sabbath, this, or this, or is this guy, this, this whole thing. They're all divided. They're in this big argument about it. They're dragging him into this argument. And then they drag his parents into it. And... and this is kind of an opportunity. You can tell his parents haven't really been. This isn't a new thing to them. People don't all of a sudden under stress. They go back to what they've always been doing. This is the way his parents have always been with him. When people say, who sinned this man or his parents? They're kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, we're not blind. You know, does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, we're not really, you know, he's sort of his own person. You know, you can go talk to him about that. They don't even back up. In, I don't know how to say this. Having a child, this is their son, it's their child, that's a huge gift from God. Lots of people understand that and they realize that, look, I don't know, I mean, my hope of like having everybody else gather around me or be my friend or stay with me, I haven't really found that out. I just, you know, I need to have a kid because that's my only hope that like someone's going to actually just love me unconditionally. And, and they're probably right about that. That's a, a complete gift. You don't make someone's life. God gives that. In other words, what, part of what this story is about is God had given them as a gift this person into their life. And it was given as a gift in what was supposed to be an act of love, which isn't always the case, but whatever, you know, that's not the only place where we mess up. But, but it's the, the intent is like, in this gift of love, God gives this person into your life that, that they're supposed to be this closest connection that you can have. Even God describes his relationship with Jesus as a parent and a son, type thing. In other words, to like, this is supposed to be like, this is the biggest gift. Not, not that you got to have, it's not that, so just forgive me for the way I'm talking about this. But in, in the story, there's this, this moment. And they're, they don't like that gift. There's something wrong with that gift. Now, now think about that for a second. Because I guarantee you, God has given you the gift. And this is why it has nothing to do with kids or parents. It's just, this is like an example of 
God has put people into your life as a gift to you. And there's always something about that person that you don't like. There's always something about that person that's gonna, that you could go down this judgment road about. There's always something about that person. And we always think, no, the friend that I want is the one that, you know, we just see things eye to eye and we just have an I'm looking for the person that like, we just really click, you know? <laughs> if you're looking for the, you know the only thing that clicks? Here, let's read what the guy says here. It says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind, and he says, look, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. What? That you know that? They know it. And he replies, well, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I don't really know. If you say you know, whatever. I don't know. I don't even know this guy. He says, but the one thing I know is I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. If something clicks, the explanation of that clicking is I was blind and now I see. It was an utter miracle. If you think that you're going to get married and, and meet the right person and get this little checklist off that you're going to do and, and pass judgment on all these other people because they're not ready, and then you finally find the one where you click. Any type of clicking is a complete and utter miracle, and it's usually not even true. What Jesus is saying is that you've arranged this whole thing with him being, you don't like this, that he's buying. Of course you don't like it, but then it's this weird thing where now you're feeling like other people are looking at you. This is like your kid who's blind, but you're worried about how this looks with everybody else. So much so that you can't make a stand for him. And, and, you, and, and I says, look, if, if that needs to be, I'll change it. But then even when it changes, you can't jump because you're just stuck in this. What God is saying is, look, I'm going to put people in your life. And if you care to make judgments about them, everybody else is going to make judgments. Of course they're going to make judgments about them. This isn't like necessarily going to be something that's going to make you look good. For everyone's like, well, I mean, I just want like, you know, I don't know. I'm not even going to mention like who we might think it would be like profitable for us to know. What he's saying is, things are going to click or I'm giving you this person and you're going to have love. You're going to have companionship. You're going to have someone in your life. You're going to have what it is that you want and I'm giving you this person and it's going to happen because you're blind and now you receive sight. You're going to have because it's going to be that kind of a miracle. It's going to be something that's never been heard of before. Never in the history of the world have two people gotten along. Wait, name one historical count in all the whole world where two people have ever gotten along, where they haven't des- descended into this division and argument and contention. We think that what's going to 
solve this need that we have. We think that what's going to give us the security is this evaluation, this judgment, and finding people that are on the same page as us, finding people where we just have all the other things. And God always gives us people as a gift that don't match up to that. And he does it for a reason, because our hope is going to be found in God working this relationship out because there is no hope that we're going to work it out because as Jesus says, there's no one good but God alone. Evil people are not going to get along. They're going to argue. But God is saying, look, I promise you, I'm going to work it out. And I put them in there, I'm going to work it out. And yes, it will be a miracle. The guy says, they said, well, he says, look, I was blind, now I see. They say, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? We're running out of time, but that's a typical thing that we say. It's like, well, look at that beautiful sun. Well, how is the sun setting? I don't know. It's just... I was just enjoying it for a minute there. (laughs) It's like there's a saying that like, no, anything good has to be in terms of us figuring out how it all works. Not if it's a gift. (laughs) If it's a gift, it doesn't depend on that. And he says, well, I've already told you what happened, and he didn't listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? There's a hint of sarcasm there. They hurl insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. In other words, they say, look, the reason why, you know, this, this is, you know, we're following reason and what we know. And you're following something if it's a gift or this. You have no control over that. You, you don't know anything about that. There's no uh, security to be found in something like a gift that you don't even know what's going on or why it's happening. You need to know. The man answers, well, now this is remarkable. You don't know where this guy comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. <laughs> We know, and this is where he's really talking about what they think, but we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly persons who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What's going on there? They're saying, look, I, I just don't accept all this Jesus stuff because it doesn't make sense, right? And he says, look, if you were to actually use reason, I mean, you'd have to judge. I can see now. You know, this miracle happened. What are you going to say? You know that Moses, how do you know that Moses, other than the things that you see that were miraculous there? But, but they, they make it clear that it's not really that. What it is is that from birth, they talk about this guy, from, from as long as they've known of this guy, he has had a place in their culture at the bottom. And this miracle of Jesus has upset the what they see as the natural order of that place. And they're ticked about it. 
because they see their place as being threatened. The thing is with coming to Jesus and what Jesus is saying about the forgiveness of God and having this gift of God. People say that doesn't make sense, but it actually makes, I mean, you know, I don't know. To say there's no one good but God alone, I think that a fairly rational person could look around at the world and say, that might be might be true. (laughs) People don't seem to be that good all the time. I mean, it's not a history of all these loving acts that we've done to each other. It's all a history of genocidal. I mean, you know, I've said this before. I think if if an alien were to come down and look, I don't think their first impulse would say, oh, what a loving place this is. Reason would just tell me, force me, compel me to say that these people are just so loving and caring. A junior high experience alone would tell you how loving people are from the time that they're in junior high all the way through, just nothing but love to each other. Lunch times are just joyous occasions. He's just saying, look, if this doesn't fit the world, that what you see, what Jesus is saying here, fine. He says, the real problem is, is that the sense of loss that we have is really our loss of this false sense of superiority that we have over other people. And the security that we think we found in that sense of superiority. That's being lost. But there was nothing actually attached to that, so you're actually not losing anything. (laughs) Is all that you're losing is, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that happened is this curtain between the Holy of Holies, it tore in half. That's all that's happened (laughs) is the little curtain that we've been hiding behind under this illusion is gone now. (laughs) And we can't live, you know, logically at this point. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't all line up. It, It tweaks us in a weird way now because we've seen everything, explained everything in the world in a way that gives us this place of superiority and and puts someone else in some other place. And and the miracle of God is always to upset that. And the great part about upsetting that isn't actually that anything that was lost, it's that that sense of superiority needs to be lost in order for us to have what it is that we really want, which is a friend, just someone to live life with. Someone who actually, to to experience like actually feeling loved and being able to love someone and and have this and have that. And God's saying, look, I I know you guys are all messed up and this is impossible and it can't happen, but what if I could just make it happen? And that's the hope that we're coming to with Jesus. What he's doing you know, when you say the words, the reason why this can happen is because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's hard for us to like grab a hold of what that means because it could just be seen as like religious talk. But if you look into it, what, what that means, like, you know, going into a little bit deeper, 
What, what it means in general is that we keep thinking there's got to be some reason why God would stop loving us, some reason why that gift would end, some reason why we wouldn't be able to have security in the love of God or the gift of God, and that extends down to him working things out with us and other people. And we feel that way because we feel like there has to be with God and in the world some sense of justice, some sense that like, well, it has to like, there has to be some sort of, you know, appeasement that that something would have to get worked out. And what Jesus is saying when he died on the cross for the forgiveness of what that means, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, is God saying, yes, there is something that needs to be taken care of. There is something that needs to get fixed, and I'm going to do that. (laughs) That, yes, there is a place where I wouldn't forgive you anymore. There is a place where I wouldn't love you, where justice would demand that I couldn't be a just God and love you at the same time. And that's why I came down and became one of you and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. What he's saying is, is in order for there to be a God that loves us, and if we keep messing up, in order for that to work out, someone's going to have to take the weight of that. And and our sense is, is like his parents, they just put that weight back on him. So you carry your own weight. He's a man, he's God isn't doing that to us. He's the parent that loves us and says, I'll take that weight on myself and I'll make the statement. You just be quiet for a second and I'll take it all on. That's what every parent should do that none of us do. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, whatever the case is here, let me answer that question. (laughs) And if anything needs to be made right, I'm going to make it right. And the sign that I'm going to make it right and the sign that I have made it right is that I will die on the cross and then we'll see what my father does. And his father raised him from the dead. You know, how many times I've talked to a pastor or someone like religiously, this is a complete side note, that you bring something like that and they say, well, yeah, but they killed Jesus for that. It's like, well, uh, but then God raised him from the dead. And it's like, well, well, I mean, like, yeah, I guess if you want to say that. It's like, okay. (laughs) The reason why this all makes a difference for us, I think, not just because God's going to fix different issues that we have prayer requests for that are real and there's a lot of hurt behind them and a lot of stress and there's there's a lot of things that God's going to do. But the big thing that he's doing in the midst of all that is how that isolates us and gets us depressed and just sort of gets us down. And he's saying, look, it's just solving problems isn't going to take that away. What you really need is just someone by your side, someone who's just going to be there, and I'm going to be that person. And instead of being that person who drags you off to the Pharisees and just gets you involved, I'm going to drag you off to people who are going to love you and care about you because I'm going to make it so that that happens. (laughs) And that's what the church is supposed to be. It's a place where Jesus is saying, look, I'm just going to make this love happen. And it doesn't, you know, we mess that up a lot of times, but insofar as it does, it's Jesus making it work. Let's pray.
Um, as the band comes up, maybe everyone can stand and we'll just pray together real quick. Uh, Jesus, we just uh, thank you for the way you care for us. And, and Lord, help us to understand what all the miracles that you do. Help us to see the miracles that you do in our life to begin with. Help us to grapple with what that means. Help us to put our faith in the love that's behind those miracles. And help us just to let go of the security that we have and the things that divide us and help us to grab a hold of this opportunity that you're giving us to see the love of God and how your love breaks all those barriers down and gives us a, a new hope. A hope, but not just in heaven, but a hope for right here and now. And Lord, I, I just pray that anyone that has things that they're going through that are tough, I, I pray that you would just, just do a miracle. And just bring them to a new place. Of, they're blind and now they see. And, and, and Lord, I, I just pray that uh, folks here that are feeling, uh, if anyone's feeling a sense of loneliness or a sense of isolation, Lord, please just this week uh, give encouragement to that. Not just, I pray that first that you just let them know that, that you're here with them. And Lord, I just pray that somehow you would let all of us in this room uh, be there too. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.